Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. If you didn't know, I was gone for a couple weeks. Some of you didn't even miss me. That's okay. Uh, no big deal. I know Jack and John did a great job these last couple weeks speaking. So I do want to take a moment and want to thank you. Um, for those of you who don't know, Debbie and I were able to um, go to uh, Hawaii this past about 10 days ago now. We were back this last week. But the week prior to that, we spent about eight days in Hawaii. And um, okay, somebody's excited for me. <laughs> so we uh, share that with you because Debbie and I have been here for um, 24, 23, 24 years, something like that. And uh, we came in 2001 as part of our 20th anniversary, which is just whatever, two or three years ago. You guys sent us as a gift to Debbie and I um, to Hawaii. And so we were able to go. It took us a couple of years to get there, but we did it. We finally made it this uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I want to share a little bit about that. So I, Debbie and I thank you from the bottom of our heart. It was just an incredible trip. Um, you know, we've been married for 36 years, and we got married when we were 14. And so, <laughs> and, um, but this is the first time, other than when we got married, that when we got married, um, we went to, I don't know why, but I guess as 19-year-olds, you go to Disney when you're, you know, 19 and in the 80s, whatever. So that's what we did. And that was our honeymoon, and um, we weren't old. We were old enough to get married. We're old enough to pay taxes. We're old enough to be in a war, but you're not old enough to have a rental car as a 19-year-old back in the 80s, at least. I don't know how it's changed now, but um, so so we were able to go um, first time in 36 years. We've had a vacation to ourselves without our kids, and so it was just a it was a great great trip. And so I want to thank you for that, Debbie and I do. It was super memorable, and I want to share some pictures. Um, and actually tied in this morning. Uh, in Hawaii, we went to this island called Maui. Um, and Maui is just this beautiful, beautiful island. And, you know, I, I figure we're probably only going to go one time in our lives. And so normally I like to go on vacation and do nothing. How many of you are like me? I mean, just do nothing. Like sit and read and sleep and, you know, do nothing. Okay. Well, that's how I like to go to vacations. I don't want to do anything. I, you know, I do lots of things. I don't want to do anything. So I thought that's what I was going to do here. But, um, matter of fact, I picked an island initially to go to where there's nobody on the island. There's nothing there. And a couple other people are like, oh, that's a mistake, you know. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So we, we decided to go to Maui instead. And my poor wife, I thought, well, I'm only going to go there once in my life. And so I'm going to drag her everywhere on this island because it's only once, right? I want to see it all. I want to experience it all. I want to touch it all, you know, the whole nine yards. And so we put 900 miles on a rental car on this island, right? And that's a lot of miles. I mean, 900 miles, right? And um, guys, I'm getting a little echoing or something. And um, so we go and, you know, there's in particular, there is a road and it's called the Road to Hana, in, on this island called Maui, right? And this road to Hana, now I'll tie this into the message. Some of you guys are wondering, like, how in the world is he going to do this? But, you know, we actually have some pictures here. On the road to Hana, it's just a, it's, it's a 64-mile road, right? 64 miles, 32, you start at one city, you go to the city called Hana. They're really more like towns or villages, right? There's 32 miles each way, right? And on this road to Hana, you can see... At certain points, it's about a thousand feet above sea level. I mean, it is just like, I think we have another slide, we can go to it. I mean, it's beautiful. There are, get this, on this road to Hana, there are, um, there are, are 56 bridges on this one lane road, right? 56 bridges, 46 of them, which are one lane bridges. Like, 
you know, 46 of these bridges, right, are one-lane bridges. It's absolutely insane. It typically takes somebody, now get this, if you go straight there and straight back without stopping, it typically takes someone about four hours to traverse 64 miles. Now, if you do the math at 16 miles an hour, right, I mean, it's horrible. I mean, you know, sometimes they call this the divorce road or the highway to hell, too, right? Because it's just like everything comes out in you. When you're on this, you know, there are 620, so I think go ahead another slide there, Trent. There are 620 curves on this road. Actually, go back one. Go back one. I don't want to show them that one yet. Okay, go back one. So, yeah, so there are 620 curves on this road. If you stop, like at the very end, there's this waterfalls. I'm not going to try and pronounce it. Eddie, how do you say this waterfalls? Okay, something like that. All right, so Eddie and Kelly lived there for, you know, 10 years. So there's this waterfalls. It's 400 feet, you know. And um, so if you stop and see these things, again, we're talking, they say it takes about 10 hours to do the whole thing. It's beautiful. There's another, some pictures of some trees, I think, they're Trent. It's incredible. They have these eucalyptus trees, right? Never knew of such beauty. Like you can't, the screen, this projector's older. So, but, you know, there are, it's yellow and green. Go, there's a couple more. Yellow and green. I mean, this is like real trees underneath of the bark, right? It's beautiful. I think there's one more, Trent. I mean, it's just unbelievable. That's red and yellow and green underneath of the bark of these trees. It's incredible. So, so there's this, this road, right, and all this stuff. Well, I also had just seen on Google Maps that the road doesn't stop. Now, they say about 500,000 cars a year go on this road to Hana. That's over 1,000 cars every single day. I mean, talk about, you know, that just to me is just like a nightmare, you know, taking that long to go on a road, right, like this. So I knew if you don't have to turn around and go back, you can actually keep on going and go all the way around the part of the island. And I'm like, well, I'm all in. And Debbie's like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> that's why it's called Divorce Highway, right? Because go ahead a couple more. Because if you keep on going, it gets the whole road. It's not just some of the bridges, but the whole road is one lane. And we're talking 1,000 feet. We got another one. I'm just trying to show you guys how narrow. And it's like, I'm like, I'm just like, Debbie's just like, I'm like, just don't look. Just please just don't look because I know there's a couple more, right, I think, right? And there's a couple more here. It's just, it's just brutal. I mean, it's just on and on and on, miles and miles. We got another one here, right, right? You can see. You can't see around. It says blow horn. Like, what's that going to do? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea what you're supposed to do when two cars are coming. But you can see. I think there's maybe one more for this. Yeah, one more. You kind of get to the very end. You're almost all the way around the island. It gets a little bit lower, and it's like, you know, you're in a, I don't know. Keep, and there's one more. And it reminded me of Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, right? Jesus is talking in Matthew 7, 14, and he says, Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And I just was, as I'm on this road, I'm thinking, oh, yeah. Narrow is the road that leads to life, right? And you have, to, you have to be totally awake and totally alert the whole time that you're on this road, right? Because it is just super stressful. And if another car is coming, it's, I don't know what's going to happen, you know. There's 500,000 cars that travel the first part of it. Hardly anybody travels the second part of it, right? They, don't even, they even tell you, hey, if you have a rental car and you go on this other half of the road, like your rental car is not covered. Like they don't want anybody going on this road. They're trying to scare you, you know, and not me though. I'm on it. You know, Debbie and I, 
And we go on. And I just thought about this passage, right? Well, one more thing about this. On the road to Hana, if you back up, actually, you're traveling. And all of a sudden, I start seeing signs. And the signs say, Garden of Eden. I was like, what? I didn't know this is where God made the Garden of Eden. I, we, you know, right? This is where it says Garden of Eden. I think there's two slides there, Trent, right? And now that's not what it, I mean, that's an actual, like, a postcard-type picture. But there's one more of the Garden of Eden. And this is a place, it's a botanical garden you can go and you can just check it out. And this is an actual picture. And it is just like it's incredible, this Garden of Eden. It's like, oh man, this is, this is so amazing. And I thought about that and I thought about our passage today because our passage in Matthew chapter 26 is all about what takes place in a garden. If you have a Bible, you can open. Oh, it's just 10 short verses. It's really short this morning. Just 10 verses. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. And in our passage this morning, it takes place in a garden. Now, Matthew doesn't call it a garden, but the Gospel of John doesn't give it a name. He just says, this happened in a garden. And then John would say, the Gospel of John says, Jesus and his disciples often went, and Luke also tells us that this is a garden that Jesus and his disciples went to frequently. They went here a lot. And in Matthew and in Luke tells us that the name of this garden was Gethsemane. Now, you have to picture this, right? In Israel, in Jerusalem, there's a valley. It's called the Kidron Valley, right? Think of a valley. And on one side, on the western side of this valley, is the city called Jerusalem, right? And there's a mountain there and, well, actually in the city, it's called the Temple Mount and it's where sacrifices would take place and it's where uh, Jerusalem is. It's where Jesus, you know, goes to the cross in Jerusalem. And then you go down this valley and on the eastern part of this valley is called the Mount of Olives. And that's where Jesus, after the death and his burial and his resurrection, that's where after spending 40 days with the disciples, he ascends up into heaven on the Mount of Olives. And the Bible tells us that one day when Jesus returns, he's going to return at that point on top of this mount called the Mount of Olives. Now, it's not really, you know, like Smoky Mountains or Rocky Mountains. It's about 330 feet high. But when you're right there in that area, it seems like it's really, really high. And on the mount, so you got this, you got Jerusalem, you got the Mount of Olives. And then on the Mount of Olives, about partial, part of the way down, there is a grove of olive trees. And that's where the Garden of Gethsemane was, someplace along that slope, along the Mount of Olives. And Jesus would go there into this garden. It was called Gethsemane. And that word Gethsemane actually means um, olive press. Or some translators would say it means wine press. And that's where they would take olives as they would come off the trees and they would press them into what would, would, would produce um, olive, olive oil, right? Or different things they make with olives where they would press them down. So it was called the place of pressing. The place of pressing. I want you to think about that this morning. It was this place where Jesus would go and, and the disciples would be tempted and they would be tested. And Jesus himself was being tested. And the test that Jesus was facing and the test that the disciples were facing, and the test that you and I are facing, well, a lot of us, we're in that place of pressing in our lives right now where you're being pressed. You're being pressed down. And you're being tempted. And the question is, Jesus, like, he says to the disciples, hey, I want you guys, I want you guys to pray. 
so that you don't give in to temptation. And you know what that temptation was? You know what the temptation was that Jesus was facing? Am I going to do my will? Or Jesus wasn't facing it. Was, am I going to do my will? But the disciples, am I going to do my will or follow my will or my way? Or God, am I going to follow your will and your way? And all of us in this room, if you'd really look at your life, there's this place of pressing where every day you have to answer that question. God, Am I going to follow your will today? Am I going to follow your way today? Or am I going to choose to do my own thing, to follow my will for my life? That's why Jesus prays himself, not my will be done, but God, your will be done. It happens in this place of pressing, in this garden, where Jesus does battle, and he tells the disciples to pray that you don't give in to temptation. Because you need supernatural strength and supernatural power. And you need the presence of God if you're not going to give in to temptation. And there's probably lots of very specific sins that we're all struggling with, right? But the big thing is, am I going to do things my way, my will, my way, God? Or am I going to do things, am I going to surrender? Am I going to trust you, God, that you know what's best in my life? God, that you are the one who determines what's right. And you are the one who determines what's wrong. And I love you and I'm going to surrender you. I'm going to follow what you say, God. I'm in that place of pressing and temptation right now in my life. Who's going to make the call? God, you? Or am I going to make the call? In this garden, this garden, this Gethsemane, this place of pressing. You know, there's three gardens. There's more than three, but three gardens in particular in the Bible that I want you to think about. Okay, in, garden, in, in Genesis chapter 2, right, there's the Garden of Eden, right? And there were trees in the Garden of Eden, two trees in particular, right? There was the tree of life, which is really cool, which is really interesting, because you also see this tree of life at the very end of the Bible. We don't think about it like this. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't specifically say it's a garden, but in Revelation chapter 22, at the when God creates a new heaven and a new earth, guess what's on that new earth? Guess what's there by a river on that new earth? The tree of life. The same tree that was in Genesis chapter 2. The tree of life. There's this garden when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. But the Bible tells us in Revelation, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth, there won't be that opportunity. Sin will be eradicated. But in Genesis chapter 2, there's this tree of life. Also in Genesis chapter 2, there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And Satan comes and he tempts Adam and Eve. He's like, oh, you don't have to listen to God. You can, you can go ahead and eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they do and sin, disobedience. You know what that tree of knowledge of good and evil represents? It represents God. I'm going to make the decision about what's right and wrong for my life. God, you're not going to tell me what's right. God, you're not going to tell me what's wrong. God, I can get to choose to do things my way, my will, God, not your will be done. And so they make that decision. Oh, I'm choosing God. You don't get to tell me what's right and what's wrong. I have the knowledge of good and evil. I get to choose. God, you might say this is wrong, but God, I say it's okay. Because I have knowledge. And Adam and Eve make that choice. 
to be disobedient to God. And sin enters that moment. And death enters at that moment. And they make that choice. And then Jesus is in this garden in Matthew chapter 26. He's in this garden and he's battling the enemy. There's this battle taking place over his life, around his life, and around the disciples' life. God, is it going to be your will, your way, or my will in my way? And he tells the disciples who are sleeping, like one of the biggest moments of their lives, and they're sleeping. They're not even aware. Do you think that maybe you might be sleepwalking right now? Do you think that maybe there's this moment where you're in this place of pressing in your life right now where you're having to think about choices and decisions that you're making and you're physically, you're, you're physically here, you're physically whatever, right? But spiritually and emotionally, you're just like a zombie, right? We're going we're gonna to have communion at the end of service and, you know, Randy's going to come back up and lead us in closing communion. But, you know, prior to Jesus being in this garden with the disciples, he was in this upper room and, and they were remembering something called Passover. That, this, that, that Jesus, that God had, um, that a lamb was sacrificed and that the Israelites, the Jewish people were being delivered out of slavery, out of bondage from Israel after 400 years. And they're gathered in this upper room and Jesus turns that into reminding them of his sacrifice, that his life would be shed, that we could be set free from sin and bondage. And so they're in this upper room. They're celebrating Passover, right? Now, I don't know, maybe the disciples ate too much. You know, just, the, just hours before had been Palm Sunday, what we represent, what we typically celebrate on a Sunday like this. And, you know, people are waving palms and welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. I mean, it's just dramatic and exciting. And, you know, all of a sudden they're in this upper room and they're celebrating Passover and I don't know, maybe they ate a little bit too much, right? Because the next thing I know, the next thing you know if you read the passage, they're fighting with one another. Like, oh, who's going to be the greatest in God's kingdom? Like, this, all this stuff is happening. And then Jesus takes them to this garden that they had gone to a lot. Luke tells us and John tells us they went there frequently to pray. And I don't know, maybe the food was really good. And they just, you know, had a, I don't know, had a little bit too much to eat. They were stressed out. They were exhausted. And oftentimes when we get stressed out and we get exhausted, what do we become? We become like numb. We become like blind to the spiritual battle taking place all around us. And when we, be, when, I don't know about you, but when I'm exhausted, how many of you are like me? I'm way more likely to give in to temptation when I'm exhausted than when I'm not. Anybody else with me? Is there nobody else? Okay, about 10 of you. All right, everybody else is lying. So, right? That's what's going on here in this passage. And Jesus is doing battle about temptation, about God's will. You know, and it says that Jesus, Luke tells us that he was sweating. It was like drops of blood. I don't know if, the, you know, you've ever been in that moment where you just get so stressful. You're just like, right? And maybe the capillaries in his head were, were, were bursting at that moment. You know, physical exertion can do really, really crazy things to your body, Right? And all of a sudden, Jesus is there, and disciples are falling asleep. Just like, guys, wake up. You guys need to be praying. Praying that you don't give into temptation. And what's the temptation? To do things your way. Your will be done, not God's will be done. That's the temptation. That's the battle that they were facing in that moment. 
whose will is going to be done? Two series ago, we talked about wisdom. And Proverbs says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And what does it mean to fear the Lord? Like, oh, I'm afraid. No, that's not what fear of the Lord is. Fear of the Lord is awe, honor, respect. It's reverence for God. It's God is saying, God, you are the one who gets to say about what's right and what's wrong. That's what fear of the Lord means to me. Awe, honor, respect, reverence. God, you're the one who gets to say what's right and you're the one who gets to say what's wrong. And God, I'm going to choose to follow what you say. The disciples are facing this battle in this moment. And Jesus is filled with anguish. His anguish wasn't because he was going to go to the cross and he was going to suffer. Although that's true, you know, the crown of thorns, the whips, the lash, and, you know, all those things being on the cross. It was this physical and there was this emotional abuse that was taking place. But I don't think that's what Jesus was in anguish about that we're going to read about in this passage. I think that Jesus was in anguish because he knew that he was going to pay the price for our sins. And what that was going to happen, what that meant is that Jesus for three days, momentarily, would be separated from the Father. And that's what damnation looks like. To be separated from the love and the presence of the Father. And that's what Jesus was in anguish about. That he knew he was paying the price for your sins and for my sins. And that meant separation from the Father. He didn't look forward to that. That would be sin in and of itself. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to being separated from, I mean, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That would be sinful. Oh, I want to be separated from God. Although when we choose to say, God, I don't want your way and your will, essentially we're saying, God, I don't want you. I want my things my way, God. Now, you listen. There's this process of sanctification, of growth, right? Whereas I become a Christian, and I'm learning what it means to follow Jesus. I'm learning that, oh, you know what, five years ago, I didn't realize that this was wrong and this was sin and I didn't understand it. You know, and I'm learning these things. I'm changing to become more like Jesus. So, you know, there's this process called sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Like, you don't have it all figured out right now. We're all growing and changing. But all of a sudden, when God reveals something to you, and even though you may choose to do things your own way, there still is this process of saying, God, I'm coming to you again today because I know what I'm doing is wrong. And I'm confessing it, God, that it's wrong. And I want to repent and turn and go the opposite way. God, thank you that you've forgiven me. I'm struggling with this, but I'm coming to you in prayer, God. Would you bring change in my heart and change in my life? God, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting in you. There's this process, but God changes us and grows us. Some of us, it happens like that. Others of us, like me, it takes a long time, right? I'm like a slow learner. God has to just be gentle and patient. The Bible says that God is actually gentle and he's patient with all of us, that we'd all come to repentance, right, to, to want to follow him. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and you say, no way, God, my will, my way. Sin enters, death and destruction enters at that moment because of that. They take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I get to choose. Have you ever done that to God? Not like literally, 
metaphorically, God, I'm choosing my will. Jesus comes to the garden, this place of pressing. And the disciples are asleep. And we know Judas comes and he brings the soldiers. And how does Peter react? He pulls out a sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the high priest's servants. He acts out in the flesh. He doesn't respond in a Christ-like way. He hadn't even been praying. He'd been asleep. He wasn't even, a, you know, he was sleeping. It's really interesting. Even this moment where Jesus is being pressed in, he's concerned about the disciples. He's concerned about them. He's going to the cross. And he's still thinking about the disciples. And Jesus is thinking about you right now in this, this very moment, praying for you. I want to read to you this passage. And uh, I already did the message. but And I'm going to give you some fill-ins at the very end. But Matthew 26, right? And you'll kind of get it, right? Upper room, Jesus leaves. Mount of Olives, on the side of the hill. Jesus went with them, his disciples, to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. I'm going to do battle right now, is what Jesus is saying. Because I know what's coming. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He knew what was coming. He told them, and he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm chapter 42. Even at this very moment, right? And oftentimes when you're being pressed like this, what's on the inside of you really comes out in a moment like this. And the Bible, Scripture comes out of Jesus. He says, he's quoting the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 42, verse 5. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And what do they do? They go to sleep. Jesus tells them, I'm being crushed. Would you guys stay here? Keep watch. Be on the lookout. Be aware. Be alert, right? He went a little further and he bowed with his face to the ground praying. He says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering, this separation, not the torture that he's going to face, but the separation from you, let this cup of suffering, other translations, let this wrath, be taken away from me. Then he prays his own prayer. He says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He returns to his disciples. He found them asleep. He says, Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Couldn't you be awake? Couldn't you be aware? There's a battle taking place here, Peter. Keep watch, Peter, and pray. Why? So that you will not give in to temptation to do things your own way. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm just going to power through. I'm going to muscle through this. And Jesus like, that's not the way you win battles. It's just through muscling through something. It's spending time with the Father. Praying, talking, being honest to God, and then listening to God. Jesus is like, that's how you do battle. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, Peter, for the spirit. I know your spirit is willing. I know you want to do the right thing. But I know that your, your body, your flesh is weak. You're exhausted. You're stressed. You're tired. Jesus left them. He left them a second time. My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, Again, God, your will 
be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went away to pray a third time, saying the same things. Father, let your will be done. God, let your will be done. God, I trust you. God, I love you. God, I know you know what's best. Let your will be done, not my own. He came back to the disciples and he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Wake up. Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. You know, on your, on the, on your seats, there's the North Point Weekly. And on the back side is a, is a note side. And, we, you know, we give these to you every week. And I mention it frequently because we always have lots of new people coming and watching online and stuff. And, you know, you are, there's a, you have a 70% more likelihood of retaining things if you just simply, now listen, but write things down. Like your retention rate goes up 70% if you will write things down. So that's why we give these, because we want you to take these things home and remember these things. There's five things I want you to, lessons that we can learn as we talk about this and think about this garden moment and experience. Five lessons. Number one is this, right? The feeling is this, that prayer is not preparation for the battle. Jesus wasn't, prepared, wasn't, wasn't praying about going to the cross. He was fighting the battle in that moment. Prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle, right? So often we have problems with other people. We have problems with situations. And we think that's the problem. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not the problem. The problem is it's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual battle. And you do battle in prayer is what Jesus is saying and what he's demonstrating, modeling for us here. Ephesians chapter, um, chapter 6, verse 12 and verse 18. The Apostle Paul is writing about prayer. He reminds us about this battle. He says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood, flesh and blood enemies, but we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. We're fighting against mighty powers in this dark world. We're fighting against all the evil spirits in the heavenly places. And then in verse 18, he says, because of that, because the battle is spiritual, I want you to pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Again, wake up. Wake up. Be alert. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. The road is narrow. The gate is small. Only a few are going to find it. Wake up. Second thing. I think we can get from this passage is that God's will at times will be difficult. God's will at times will be costly, right? It'll be overwhelming. I always used to think, well, you know, if it's God's will, God's way, this is going to be easy, easy peasy. It's going to be super easy. You know, it's, it's God's will. And of course it's going to be easy. Jesus is like, no. God's will so often is difficult, overwhelming, it's costly. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. Right? It's going to cost you something. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9. He talks about picking up his cross. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own what? Way. Oh. I thought I got to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I get to decide. 
She's like, no, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross. That means surrendering. That means sacrifice. That means obedience. That means God's will. And follow me. How often are you supposed to pick up your cross? It says daily. Oh, man. Every day I'm fighting that battle. Isn't that crazy? Every day. I thought, oh, I get to punch the golden ticket. Invite Jesus into my heart and don't worry about anything else until I go to heaven, right? And that's it. And Jesus is like, nope. Every single day you get to think about that. Surrendering your will to him. Third thing. Third thing we can learn. In prayer, we are not seeking to change God's mind or God's will. But in prayer, our purpose is to align myself, to align my heart with his will. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to change God's mind about somebody that I think that I want to marry or some job that, I, you know. I'm trying to align myself with what God's will is for my life. Not trying to change God and what he thinks or his will and his way. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. One passage, Jesus again, he's talking to disciples. He's teaching us how to pray. This is something we should pray on a daily basis, right? God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let your will be done in my life. That's the temptation that I'm fighting. My will or your will, God. Fourth thing. A supernatural life, right? A supernatural life requires supernatural power. In resources. It's so great, you know, and some of the other, not in Matthew, but I believe it is in Luke. Luke always is talking about angels. And Luke tells us that when Jesus was praying, that God sent angels to minister to him, right? Uh, there, there it is, Luke 22. It says, as Jesus was praying, it says, an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And a supernatural life, which is following Jesus, which is God's will and God's way, that's a supernatural life. It requires supernatural resources, supernatural strength from him, God's presence in our lives. And when I pray, God does that in our lives. Lastly, I often think that physical stress and exhaustion, right, that leads me to becoming distracted, comfortable, complacent, and unprepared. Stress and physical exhaustion lead me, I don't know about you, I'm distracted, I get comfortable, and I get complacent, right? And I'm unprepared during moments like that in my life like the disciples were. And so often I choose my own will. I thought about two passages of scripture from Ephesians that talk about that. Or Matthew chapter 26, again, Jesus, keep watch and pray, right, so that you will not give in to temptation. Your spirit is willing, but your body, your flesh is so weak. And Jesus says again, Ephesians 5, or excuse me, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5, wake up. All throughout the New Testament, you find this phrase, wake up. Be aware, be alert. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. And Christ will give you light. Randy's going to come, but I want to pray. I want to close this in prayer before we receive communion together. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your example of going to the garden and fighting that battle through prayer and being honest with our Heavenly Father and modeling these things for us. Jesus, we're all in this room struggling with surrendering 
our own way and our own wills to you. We pray, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would help us to surrender to your will, Father. Help us to trust you. To trust that you know, Heavenly Father, what is best. Help us to wake up. To be more aware of the spiritual battle taking place in our lives right now. Where we're being pressed down. Help us to recognize this place of pressing. And not be like Adam and Eve. Who said, my will be done, not your will, God. Help us not to be like Adam and Eve who said, God, I'm going to choose what's right and what's wrong. And you're not going to tell me. But help us to be like you, Jesus. To surrender to you. I pray for, for strength this morning. Supernatural strength. Perseverance. I pray for your power, Heavenly Father, in our lives. Most importantly, I pray for your presence, that we would love you.